Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So you go to an office, then you go on TV and talk about cigarettes. Then you fly out to L.A. to talk to some guy who's a movie star. What is that? That's my job. I'm a lobbyist. I know, but did you study to do that? No. No, I just kind of figured it out. Then can't anyone just do that? No. It uh, requires a, a moral flexibility that goes beyond most people. Lobbying is a pretty straightforward term. It's how individuals and businesses grab the ear of the government and air their grievances, promote laws and bills they want to be passed, basically making their voices extra heard. This can influence the votes of legislators and shape the very government that we have here in the U.S. So it's no small act, and it's basically inevitable in most political systems out there. Now, there are some serious benefits to lobbying because, let's be real, there are a lot of issues that the government needs to address. Tackling them all may be virtually impossible. So that's why groups of people band together, research a topic, and then present it to officials to try and spur them into action. Ideally, lobbyists will bring the best and most thorough knowledge forward as well, so the government can make the most informed decision possible. And that sounds pretty easy and pretty useful, right? Spend some money to do some research, buy some time, and you'll be heard. But what about the people that need help who don't have money? What about big businesses that can afford to spend and potentially warp the truth? Well, that's where things start to get a little murky. There's some lobbyists. Those lobbyists collect campaign contributions, offer jobs, and then write the laws that Congress then passes to help those same special interests. This happens every day on every single issue with politicians. This is how a bill becomes a law. Not quite as cutesy and fun as a schoolhouse rock version, but you get it. And all of this has led to bank lobbyists having a say in how financial bills are drafted, which is obviously going to benefit the banks themselves, a shockingly low amount of lobbyists that are a part of or represent minority groups and former lobbyists themselves saying that the whole thing is hypocritical. It wears on a person's conscience and is nothing more than legal bribery. And today I want to understand how lobbying happens and how it can become out of control. So let's take a look here on today's episode of The Corporate Casket. Of food production. So uh, I feel confident about their safety, but as, we as you are see, going to drain the swamp. A dinner party. Then you rinse and repeat. A moral flexibility. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The United States has an addiction to lobbying. I know we said it can happen in any political system, but boy, oh boy, do we take it to the next fucking level. Lee Drutman wrote a book called The Business of America is Lobbying, in which he explained how lobbying itself has become an industry with revenues of $3.31 billion in 2012, and that's over a decade ago. About 75% of that comes from corporate clients too. So not individuals or little nonprofits trying to make a change like we might hope, but big businesses like the Nestle's and Unilever's of the world that pretty much already run things. Drutman also wrote an article for The Atlantic explaining that it's these corporations who effectively conquered American democracy as we know it. But things weren't always this way either. Back in the 1960s, Congress went on a regulatory binge spurred on by public interest groups. In the following decade, a bunch of top CEOs made the business roundtable devoted to, quote, cultivating political influence. Basically, they were all tired of sitting around being controlled and decided, hey, money talks, so let's start talking to the people who are gonna listen to it. And sure enough, and unfortunately, that method worked. Quote, they killed a major labor law reform, rolled back regulation, lowered their taxes, and helped to move public opinion in favor of less government intervention in the economy. And because throwing money around was working so well for these lobbyists, they started doing it even more. Because if it worked, why not do it more, right? And in a few years, as one lobbyist explained, their mission went from keeping the government out of business to making the government their partner in business. They weren't playing the defense anymore, but offense as well. And this is where we start to see noticeable differences between the US and other governments that lobby. Take the EU, for example. In a large-scale comparative study between the two, the EU was more likely to attain a compromise success, whereas in the US, there was more of a winner-take-all outcome, as political put it. The majority of U.S. corporations and trade associations get whatever they want because legislators want those dollar bills to donate to their next re-election campaign. It's sort of a, I'll scratch your back and you'll scratch mine later kind of thing. But citizen groups and foundations will often lose somewhere around 60 to 63% of the time. In the EU, where a lot of policymakers aren't elected, this isn't really an issue. There's less need for that re-election money. And so the likelihood of a corporation winning is almost the exact same for the foundations and citizen groups. Does this mean that I think policymakers should not be elected? No, and that's not what I'm advocating for. But what I am saying is when they are, these are inevitable issues that we'll face. There's widespread concern about transparency and integrity, a lack of regulation, unclear definitions, and so many other basic operations and functions around lobbying itself. Keep in mind, this is the way our laws are formed. If anything out there should be transparent and have integrity, it should be this. But welcome to America, where corporations look at the word democracy and seem to see it as a challenge. Anything can be bought, and they most certainly try to do so. So now that you understand the bare bones of why US lobbying is complicated and at times downright corrupt, let's go ahead and take a look at what lobbying can do when it's used improperly. And let's start with a great example. It's a great example, but it is an unfortunate example, the food industry. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here, um, as, as you know, we're an agricultural company. We sell seeds to farmers who make harvests, and those harvests end up in plates around the world. Genetically modified uh, organisms have been around for 20... Actually, next year's the 20th anniversary, so billions of acres, trillions of portions of food, and probably the most studied food products in the history of, uh, of, of food production. So. Uh, I feel confident about their safety, but as, as you say, because of this... Monsanto uh, is the world's yeah. largest seed company, and they have been a problem for decades. I've covered them in an episode, I think, a year or two ago, and I could still go on. That wasn't even enough. You could keep going and talking about this company. It's insane. But seriously, people call them the home of Agent Orange, so do I really need to go on? Obviously, I do. Now, of course, and as many of you know, Bayer bought them not all that long ago, and I, of course, have an episode on Monsanto and an episode on Bayer, but both really feel ancient at this point because new stuff just keeps happening. Now, we're not here to talk about the mountains of controversy that surround them, but we're here to specifically look at their role in lobbying. Back in 2015, the New York Times wrote that Monsanto decided to retool their lobbying strategy by bringing in the big guns and enlisting scientists to prove their point. Which, boy oh boy, is that sentence just so freaking funny in all the worst ways, right? They're bringing in the big guns to enlist scientists to prove their point. So the question is, what were they doing beforehand? Just throwing money? Oh, wait, yeah, that's pretty much what they were doing, but I digress. And I mean, hey, if they are really using elite unbiased research to back up their company's claims, then I think that's fantastic. But how do we know that it's unbiased? Can we actually be sure of that? Many academics like these accept unrestricted grants and Monsanto has happily passed out undisclosed amounts of money to various scientists before. Even Dr. Folta, who has received these funds in the past, has admitted that he understands why he and his university are seen as a tool of the industry. They've now resolved to donate the Monsanto money to a food pantry to avoid that perception. And I do give him massive credit for being willing to prove that he can't be bought, although I don't know, he kind of took the money too. But unfortunately, this is not the case for everyone who gets money from corporations. Instead, Monsanto seems more than willing to kiss butt and buy credentials. But for those that disagree with them, they'll go ahead and launch personal attacks. You no, know, people try to commit suicide no, with no, it and no, fail no, fairly regularly. Tell the truth. It's, it's not dangerous, dangerous to humans. No, it's no. not. So are you ready to drink one glass of glyphosate? No, I'm not an idiot. Apparently, glyphosate, a key ingredient in Monsanto's Roundup weed killers, was named a probable human carcinogen by the IARC, or International Agency for Research on Cancer. Monsanto did not take too kindly to this and decided that a good professional level-headed response would be to personally attack the IARC scientists. They accused them of corruption, distortion, fraud, conspiracy, lying, secrecy, literally the works. Well, hello again, welcome to another edition of Crop Life Retail. Our friends south uh, in Mexico, I actually have, uh, they're putting in place a uh, ban on importing uh, biotech corn. Then a few years later, Monsanto owner Bayer and its industry lobbyist CropLife started working with US officials to try and pressure Mexico to abandon its ban on glyphosate completely. 
Public health concerns have been the primary factor in multiple countries trying to end the use of glyphosate altogether, but maybe a few million dollars can change their minds, right? Well, that's their hope at least. Now, here's the thing. Everyone has the freedom to present their research, their beliefs, and their data in a fair way. If CropLife, this pesticide lobbyist, stepped forward and could prove that these pesticides don't do the harm that scientists have claimed, then that's their prerogative. The trouble here is that not only are corporations they represent personally attacking scientists who disagree with them, but industry lobbyists don't always have ethical approaches either. Growing population, that is of course a pressure on the farmers. Uh, that means they have to produce a lot of food to feed those people who are living in the cities. And that means farmers have to increase their productivity. SNV is here to assist these farmers. We are forming a consortium with CropLife. Let's dig into CropLife just a little bit more and their 2020 to 2021 social media strategy presentation. It was leaked about a year ago, and it shows that even though the pesticide industry says they support the EU's Green Deal, their actions are far from supportive. Instead, they, quote, paid for partial impact studies to scaremonger about economic losses while painting an unfair picture among a whole host of other undermining methods. CropLife and the pesticide industry at large care about themselves, not environmental sustainability. That may not be surprising in the slightest, but what is surprising is just how far these companies will go to unfairly tear down competition and create scaremongering around these issues. That is a matter of food, a matter of public health, and a matter of safety. But in lobbying, the public doesn't necessarily have a say. Money does, and it's certainly chatty. Every day they're pounding it. The heightened financial turmoil that we have experienced of late may well lengthen the period of weak economic performance and further increase the risk to growth. in motion 10%. Like this could be the most serious recession in decades. And that means life, as most Americans know it, is about to change. In Let's some say cases, that you and your friend group helped out a guy named John Banks. He needed bailing out a few times before, and he's also done a few shady things in the past. He needs some regulation, you might say. You and your friend group are figuring out the boundaries that you're going to put in place when Banks strolls right into your meeting with milk and cookies, butters you up, and decides all these boundaries for you while your mouth is full of chocolate chip goodness. Well, that's kind of what bank lobbyists have actually done. They're not simply making suggestions or trying to work with lawmakers anymore. They're taking matters into their own hands and doing it for them. But do you know what's even funnier in a really sort of depressing way? The cookie eaters in Congress also know that this is a bad idea. Take this paragraph from the New York Times, quote, I won't dispute for one second the problems of a system that demands immense amount of fundraisers by its legislators, said Representative Jen Himes, a third term Democrat of Connecticut who supported the recent industry backed bills and leads the party's fundraising effort in the House. A member of the Financial Services Committee and a former banker at Goldman Sachs, he is one of the top recipients of Wall Street donations. It's appalling, it's disgusting, it's wasteful, and it opens the possibility of conflicts of interest and corruption. It's unfortunately the world we live in. And I'm sorry, I know that was a really long quote, but I think the full context is really necessary here. Jim, darling, you can't call the cookies disgusting when you've already eaten a full plate. If you know that this opens yourself up to corruption, why are you accepting it? Truly, this is hypocrisy at its finest. But it's not just the lobbying itself that's worrisome here, or the fact that Wall Street groups are giving input. It's that this input has effectively become the writing of the bill itself. According to NPR, this can sometimes even be word for word. 
language suggested by lobbyists was almost identical to the language in the final legislation of Dodd-Frank reforms back in 2013. Apparently, two full paragraphs were copied verbatim. The only changes were made to a couple of words, plural. Mother Jones also posted a side-by-side -side comparison in one of their articles to emphasize the similarities. But here's the question, is this wrong? Think about it. If you're making laws around banks, you should get input from the people in the financial sector, right? Like no one can be an expert on everything. So it makes sense that lobbyists would listen to professional advice and potentially borrow some of that language. And this, by the way, is the argument that lobbyists make. And it's not a terrible one, which is the shit part. Still, when Citigroup drafted so much of the language, you have to wonder what about the voices who would oppose the legislation? Congress is only hearing one side of the argument. Big banks and big oil companies present bills so often that Lee Drutman argues they're basically outsourced its policy expertise to the private sector. If you've heard on the news tomorrow or whatever that Congress paid Citigroup to try and let them write their next bank regulation bill or that ExxonMobil was drafting up a policy around gasoline and oil, wouldn't you be shouting conflict of interest, conflict of interest, you can't do this? Unfortunately, it's not that far off from reality, but they disguise it really well. But the lobbyists naturally are going to disagree with this. NPR writes, Nick Allard, a lobbyist at Patton Boggs says, before you think lobbyists are running Washington, consider this. Word choices in a bill have to be vetted and approved by a lot of eyeballs in a long lawmaking process. So it's the members of Congress who voted for the bill, not the lobbyists who have to take ownership over the final language. And that's true, Congress has to take responsibility for where a bill comes from. But if both sides of the aisle on any given issue aren't properly represented, does that really make this any better? We don't even know where their policy expertise is coming from. Lobbyists themselves aren't under disclosure requirements. So whether they're pulling numbers out of their asses or getting them from a reputable source, we don't know and there's no vetting in place for that. And this above all else is one of my primary issues with lobbying as a whole, the lack of transparency. These are bills that will affect the entire country, our daily lives and how businesses operate both large and small. And the public doesn't just have no say, but no knowledge of where that expertise is supposedly coming from. In this way, lobbying doesn't sound like a method to get Congress to pay attention to grievances, but a way to get Congress to simply trust me, bro, and put their stamp of approval on what corporations put in front of them. And believe me, I want to be wrong and say that I think all members of Congress can't be bought. And I'm sure, or at least I'd like to hope, that not just anything can slide through, but unfortunately at times, it most certainly feels that way. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. On paper, JSTOR poses an interesting and terrifying question. Can private money buy public science? The simple answer is this. Yes, and it already has. We actually saw this in my episode about the food pyramid. Lobbyists have skewed dietary guidelines, literally affecting the way millions of Americans eat and view food as a whole. But this isn't just about a food pyramid that's about a half century old either. This issue has happened in recent years too. Take 2015, for example. 
the government released the 2015 Dietary Guidelines that will change the way millions of people eat, from school lunches to nutrition programs to food labels and medical research grants. Although these very guidelines are supposed to be grounded in current scientific evidence, experts have said that they're far too influenced by food manufacturers and producers. Not only has lobbying created a misinformation cycle here, but a manipulation of data, according to Dr. Walter Willett, chair of the Department of Nutrition at Harvard School of Public Health. And it's this manipulation of data that's especially dangerous. In my opinion, downright scammers and liars are awful, but not as awful of those who sprinkle in a little bit of truth. When you twist data and evidence to support a narrative that isn't honest or truthful at the end of the day and just live in that gray area between fact and fiction, it can be especially difficult for people, even if they're well-informed, to see misinformation right in front of them. But this is similar to exactly what happened to the 2015 guidelines. Studies have linked heavy meat consumption to higher rates of heart disease and cancer. So the advisory committee put red meat and processed meats in the same category, recommending Americans eat less of these foods. The guidelines themselves, on the other hand, have lumped red meat, seafood, poultry, and other protein sources as elements of a healthy eating pattern. And this isn't exactly surprising. The meat industry has had a long history and influence on the USDA. Fat, sugar recommendations, grains, and other food industries have also had an impact on dietary guidelines, potentially affecting our health in the long term. At other times, you can see the harm these lobbyists cause right away, in the short term, and they're pretty devastating. Take a look at Teresa Hershey, for example. She nearly died from complications of a hysterectomy. It had been robotic-assisted, and no, I don't mean some device like Wally showed up to perform the surgery, but a large device utilized by the surgeon themselves had operated on her. While doing so, however, it had burned a hole in her bowels. Teresa added her account of what happened to a database maintained by the FDA, and it was among hundreds that had similar issues with this robot. You'd think that when so many people have had similar horrifying experience that action would be taken. Instead, lobbyists in the medical device community are working hard to actually loosen regulations, and it's working. A new rule has allowed manufacturers to submit quarterly summarized reports instead of individual detailed ones each time an incident occurs. This is obviously quite concerning, and as Teresa told NBC, quote, if they take that out, we're not going to know what's going on. Why do we even have the reports in the first place? That's a really damn good question. Now, if these reports only happen quarterly, this would mean that if a massive amount of complications occur at once, it could take up to three months to actually recognize the issue. Without detail, it would be possible to miss certain similarities of a variety of cases. There are a lot of potential negative side effects to these new rules being put in place that are beneficial to the medical device community, but not for patients. This is where the title of this chapter comes in. Private money affects public health. It has for a while and it shows no real signs of stopping. Just this last year, studies show that industry lobbying on the World Health Organization may also affect public health. Quote, Lobbying can be a healthy part of the democratic process, said Catherine Russ, professor of economics at UC Davis and lead author of the study. But our findings suggest that this targeting of the WHO acts to plant doubt about the scientific and professional integrity, as well as operational capacities of the global health governance system, just when we need it most. These efforts have taken on a coordinated form, according to the article, literally complicating how the US responded to the pandemic. It's not as if lobbyists were trying to change one or two small policies either. 
but they targeted WHO's efforts to broaden essential medicines like COVID-related programs. They went after WHO's recommendations to limit sugar and alcohol, and they targeted WHO's methods to constrain inappropriate marketing of infant and toddler formulas. And seriously, if Nestle was involved in that one, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. I don't think it's controversial to say that American citizens want well-informed, reputable marketing around baby formula. If lobbying were truly a democratic system, perhaps we would see that. Instead, lobbying is more like businesses shoving money in politicians' pockets and asking them to turn a blind eye to what's actually important. Like seriously, trying to limit COVID programs during the pandemic? Does it get much more evil than that? Well, of course it does, this is lobbying. But even in the midst of an unprecedented pandemic, lobbyists have clearly put their own selfish interests first, and it's despicable. And the worst part is, they know it. Before we go on to take a moment to talk about that, let's just go ahead and have a quick moment to thank today's sponsor. It's the calm before the holiday storm, but you can prepare your e-commerce business for the holiday rush now by using ShipStation. It doesn't matter if you're shipping from your house or a warehouse, ShipStation can help increase your profitability. And you can save time automating your shipping and returns in the ShipStation dashboard, whether that's on your computer or on your phone with their app. And you can get industry-leading carrier discounts while your holiday orders keep rolling in. And ShipStation is incredibly easy to use. You pop in your information for whatever platform you're using, whether you're selling on or like through Shopify, Etsy, Amazon, eBay, wherever you are, ShipStation can help you out. And once you get it set up, you can sync your orders in. So every time you get an order, it pops up in your ShipStation dashboard, and then you can automate how fast you're shipping, what carrier you're shipping with, and you'll know the prices of everything before you hit that buy button. It's a really quick setup, and if you use my code, you can get a free trial. And now is the time to try out ShipStation if you've been on the fence. You can get discounts up to 84% off of USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 other companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. So set up your business this holiday season for success with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CASKET today and sign up for your free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, use code CASKET, and you'll get a free 60-day trial. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Perspective. You go to a breakfast fundraiser in the morning, then you go to work, you do your, your job, then you go to lunch fundraiser. Then you come back, then you have another committee hearing or a markup, or you go start calling on your offices. And then you'd go to a cocktail fundraiser, and then you go to a dinner fundraiser, and then you rinse and repeat. A former lobbyist, Jimmy Williams, spoke to Vox in 2018. And while he doesn't represent all lobbyists in any way, I did find his story quite interesting all the same. It provides some much needed insight into what lobbying is truly like from a perspective that we don't often see or hear. In fact, whenever Williams tells people he was a lobbyist these days, their ears perk up because lobbying is the secretive world for most of us. While we might see it as legal bribery, a way for voices to be heard or somewhere in between, William says that he does believe lobbying is important and essentially a really important part of our right to petition the government, but he doesn't support Supreme Court rulings that quote, 
repeatedly tell us money is an absolutely protected form of speech. And honestly, I couldn't really agree more. By all means, if the medical device industry wants its point heard, it has the right to hire lobbyists to make these points to the government. But no matter how much money they spend, that should not be a deciding factor in what becomes laws and what policies actually go through. The welfare of the people is supposed to be the government's number one priority. And I say in some cases, but at this point it feels like in most cases, it clearly isn't. Williams explains how this happened from his perspective when he was representing wine and spirits distributors. He had scheduled a meeting with a member of the Nevada delegation. And when he called into his office, the Congressman simply asked him why his political action committee fundraiser hadn't been responding to their calls asking for donations. Williams said he'd take care of it. And then a moment later in front of Williams clients, the Congressman simply said he supported their legislative issues. And that was that. William admits, quote, every fundraiser was yet another legal bribe. Every committee hearing I'd look up and think, I just bought this vote. And every time I got a bill passed or better yet killed, I'd think to myself, that wouldn't have worked if I hadn't bought the outcome. We can't know that for sure. And maybe it is possible that this isn't even true. Maybe he's just, you know, making shit up. Maybe he would have seen the same result whether or not money entered the picture, but we don't know. However, I don't doubt that he's telling the truth in many of these cases. When there's a distinct lack of transparency and accountability in lobbying itself, it already speaks volumes about what might happen behind closed doors. And lastly, another factor worth recognizing is that if money and the majority talk, then poverty and minorities are quiet in Congress, or at the very least, they're often underrepresented. If you've ever wondered why things don't actually seem to change in government, here's another reason to tack onto that ever-growing list. Though there are more minority lobbyists now than there were years ago, the industry is still slow to catch up. Only about 17% of Washington lobbyists are people of color, while the US population itself is significantly more diverse than that. Black Congress people have expressed concerns over this, pointing to possible discrimination and a lack of viewpoint diversity. If groups such as bank lobbyists may almost literally be writing laws or having a very large say in such, then we absolutely need more diversity among these groups. Don't get me wrong, I think corporate lobbyists have too much power as is, but it doesn't make things better when these people are also what we've expected to see in government since its inception, more rich white conservative men. All in all, I can't say that I'm surprised to discover these things about corporate lobbying and the grip that they have on the government, but I think it's still important to know and depressing all the same. Unfortunately though, what I just discussed in today's episode is only the little tippity tip, just the tiniest little taste of what's actually going on. To actually get into the nitty gritty and all the details of what's actually going on in lobbying, this would be multiple episodes. I could probably dedicate an entire like channel and podcast just to talk about lobbying misdeeds and what's going on. It is so entrenched, so detailed, so just dense that it's insane. So this is literally the briefest overview of lobbying ever. And it was still about what, 25, 30 minutes long? So just to let you know, this is a really, really deep and nasty sinkhole in our government. And uh, no one really seems intent on changing that. So unfortunately, this is where we're stuck. There's no good ending to this episode. Sometimes shit just sucks. And this is one of those things. So hope you learned something new from today's episode. I really appreciate you sticking it out to the end and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.